Uh, we will meet again. We're going to begin in the winter. We will start on January the 9th. January the 9th will be the next meeting. We will continue in our consideration of the life of faith. We have been thinking about the foundations of the life of faith at this point. We are going to be thinking next week or next week in the, in the wintertime about the outworking of that in our day-by-day experience. What does it look like as we live out that new life in the Lord Jesus Christ? But let's commit our time to the Lord in prayer and we will begin here tonight. Father, we come and ask you to once again take your word by your spirit and speak to each heart, each one of us. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for that love in sending the Lord Jesus Christ to this earth. We thank you for the great provision that has been made. And we're coming to ask you to so work in us that we will thoroughly understand it. And we will build our lives in faith and confidence in what's been done. So while we come and just ask you... Meet us as we fellowship together around your word. And we're trusting you for that. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Last week we talked about justification. I'm going to tell people in the, uh, in the course on preaching, one of the key things that you have to do when you're going to speak to people is define what you're talking about. Because a lot of the vocabulary that we use isn't used anywhere else. And when we think about this matter of justification, I, I, think, I think the only way I've ever seen justification used outside of this is on the computer where you justify your columns, right? You've got to justify them. See, the word justification, I don't know, we don't use it a lot in our everyday living, but the justification is part of the foundation of your Christian life. If we're going to go on in the winter and talk about how we're going to live this out, it has to be on a rock-solid a rock foundation, and that's what we're talking about here tonight. We're thinking about that foundation. We thought about it last week. I want to review that this week. Justification takes us to the picture of a, of a man standing in a courtroom. Yesterday in the church service, I was over that, the um, pastor was speaking about this. One of the frustrations that a person comes to who wants to live by the Word of God and wants God to be glorified is dealing with the ungodliness of the world in which we live. Just in your own heart, you're so frustrated. People get away with lying and cheating and, and they get wrong with all kinds of stuff. And you hear about it, you think, it just irks you that they're getting away with it. And he reminded us again, which we all know, nobody gets away with anything. Nobody gets away with anything. There is an appointed day in which, this is what the Bible is teaching us, that there is an appointed day when God, as the judge of all the earth, the universe, and everything, will justly deal with unrighteousness from the devil right down to the last person who's ever lived on this earth. We all have to appear there. Every, every individual in this room will stand one day before God and give account. Now, the, this idea of God giving account, when we're talking about the unrighteous people way out there, is sort of comforting, right? It's a, they're going to get their due. The only problem with that concept is this, that we're also going to get our due. 
And no matter how much you think, well, my life isn't too bad, start with the first and great commandment. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind. We're in trouble already, aren't we? If the judge is going to judge righteously and actually condemn every sin, and I didn't do that, I'm in trouble no matter what anybody else did. My relative standing compared to everybody else has no meaning whatsoever. But one question is, how do I stand with the judge? What will he see on my record? And last week we were thinking about the fact that if it were not for the fact that God had stepped in on our behalf, we would be helpless and hopeless. Passage we're going to read in just a minute just says that when we were still helpless, we were helpless because there's nothing we can do about this. We have a record that we can't erase, we can't get rid of, we can't escape, and yet we have to appear before the judge. But God stepped in. I want to remind you what we went over last week. Just again, I, this shouldn't hurt our hearts to have to go over it over and over and over and over again because here's the foundation. God stepped in our behalf by sending the Lord Jesus Christ to this earth. He did two things when He was on this earth that Go work together to make it possible for God to justify us, to say to a person who has a big guilt record, he's completely innocent. Justification, remember, is a justified is a term that a Roman judge would use, which is the equivalent of American not guilty. Justified is not guilty. Guilty was condemned, right? That's the, that's the vocabulary of their courtroom. You're either justified or condemned. And the judge will, will say the difference. Jesus came, did two things on our behalf. The first thing he did, we want to always remember this, is he lived perfectly on this earth. He always did the things that God liked him to do, wanted him to do. He always served his father and he always served people. You know, there's no record in the word of God of Anybody coming honestly to Jesus who didn't get what they asked for, <laughs> didn't receive from him. He was kind. He was good. He didn't lie. He didn't cheat. Didn't they? You know, all those things that we're so prone towards, he does not do so that when he is baptized, God, looking at him, could say this, this is my son, my beloved son, and I am well pleased in him. Everything about him pleases me. There's no place where I am irritated with him. That's tremendous. Right? It went so far as to the point where his, when his enemies wanted to destroy him at the end of his life, he came before the Jewish authorities and they had to get false witnesses and they knew they were false witnesses. Why did they have to get false witnesses? And they had a law that's very detailed and all the things you have to do, but they could not find him guilty against any of those laws. And finally, he was condemned because he said, in essence, that he was the Son of God, which he was. That wasn't untrue, so he doesn't sin there. But because of their position, they, they condemned him over that. They take him then to Pilate. To Pilate. Pilate's in a fix. He has the only, only the Roman authority can actually condemn Jesus to death. But he doesn't have a crime with which to charge him. And despite all of the screaming that was going on from the, the local authorities, that is the religious authorities, 
he still says, I find no guilt in him. There's nothing to write here. Now, the reason this is important to him is by Roman law, when you crucified somebody, you had to put a, a paper on their cross which says, this man died for this reason. The two men on either side of Jesus when he was crucified were crucified because they were thieves. And that's what it would have said. It was called the certificate of death. This is what this guy owes. And he is put there, right on that cross. But Pilate's in a fix because he doesn't have anything to write and he has to write something. Remember what he wrote? This is Jesus, king of the Jews. They were they were irritated with that. You put them. That's that's all I can say. He was the king of the Jews. There's nothing against him. Now the apostle Paul later on picks up this this concept and and weaves it into the book of Colossians and he says this that there was a certificate certificate of debt against us, but God took it out of the way because when Jesus goes to the cross, there's no certificate of debt against him. And so he took my certificate of debt. And we said last week, this is the details of all those things that I have done down my life. The details of it, which were listed out. And he took it out of the way by going like this. He knocked it. That's what he, it's the picture. He nailed it to the cross. So when Jesus dies, what does he die for? Not because of anything he did, because there was nothing on there. But he dies because of what I did. But when he dies for that, he takes it away. But when he has taken it away, here comes the other side of the justification. We saw this last week, and this is extremely important to grab hold of. Jesus then, God gives to me, in a way again, he gives to me, accounts to me, that life that Jesus lived that was perfect. So that when I appear, Before God, at that judgment, it will be the same as if Jesus was standing in front of him to be judged. This is what it means, biblically, or part of what it means. It's not all of it, but it's part of what it means that we are in Christ. God has so identified us with the Lord Jesus Christ that that righteousness becomes ours on that that wonderful moment when we stand before Him. And it will be a wonderful moment because it's the entrance into an experience in which we're going to read about in just a moment. That's justification. You've been declared right, not because you did anything right, not because you, you in any sense merit this, But because you came to Jesus Christ and you received from him the salvation which he can give. That's why it says that you are justified because of your faith. You're justified because of that faith. Now you have the assurance that when you stand before the judge, you will not be judged. You will receive that not guilty verdict. Now, with that in mind, Okay, with that in mind, we need to say something more. And that is that that is not the final purpose that God had when Jesus died. It wasn't just that when we get to that point, we can be delivered. The book of Peter, Peter chapter 3, verse 18, says this. That he also, that Christ also died for sins once for all. The just 
for the unjust. The just one, Jesus, for the unjust, that's for me. But he died for me, what? In order that he might bring me to God. That his purpose was not just to get me past that terrible moment of judgment. His purpose was to bring me to God because as we saw, if you were here at the very beginning of our study, well, this, the issue is life. It's not faith, it's life. And life is found when you get to, to know God. And what happens is Jesus comes and he does this for me so he can establish a relationship and he can bring me to God. Um, know that most of you are probably familiar with this, but again, let's remind ourselves of what happened. On that moment when Jesus died, there was a, a strange thing happened in Jerusalem, which is highly symbolic for us. In the temple, which was a series of courts and, and openings, again, there's a lots of curtains there. You come in, there's a curtain you have to go through to get into the court. Then you have, if you were a priest, there's a curtain you go through to get into a place called the holy place. Then there was another curtain that takes you into the holy of holies, the place where God, the Shekinah glory of God was, where God manifests himself. These curtains were not just uh, you know, like a shower curtain or something. These things, were, these things were curtains. I think the one was about six inches thick. I don't know how in the world they hung that thing up there. But anyway, it was, it was up there. But on that particular occasion, at that particular moment, what happens is that, that curtain is ripped apart. And what does that mean when that curtain is ripped apart? It means that God himself has opened up the place, the way to get to Him, to get close to Him, the place which has been sealed off all the way through the Old Testament experience is now been opened up. And there's the chance for a person to come in. That's tremendous. That's tremendous. Because God isn't interested in just justifying us. That is declaring us right. Now we come to the next one. He wants to also reconcile us. Oh, what's that supposed to mean? Okay, justification. <laughs> that's, that's being not guilty. But what's reconciliation? Again, it's not a word that we use a lot. But it is one we're closer to. Because we all know what it is to have a friend and then have an, a breakup of a friendship. That's the, that's the beginning of reconciliation is to put it back together again. It implies... The whole word implies the two people were friends. You can't reconcile people who don't know each other. Right? That's not the right word for it. You reconcile people who were friends, and for some reason, that friendship has been split. They could have been a married couple who were, who were close to one another, but things have happened. Something came between them, and it ripped their relationship right apart. And they're in different places now. That relationship, if it is brought back together, the biblical word for that is it's been reconciled. It's been, it's been restored. Right? You and I had a relationship with God as human beings. The human race had a relationship with God. As we saw earlier in our studies, because of the sin of Adam and Eve, it was ripped apart. And we live in a world today which is filled with all kinds of problems because we are apart from God. But Jesus Christ came to die, the just for the unjust, in what? In order to reconcile. That's what they mean, to take you by the hand and lead you back to a relationship with the living God. That's the goal. That is the goal. And he brings us this to pass. Let's look at a passage here. 
in Romans. And I want to read through it and, and think a little bit about this idea of reconciliation and the, the wonderful experience of justification, how it works out with this. This is uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. <clears throat> and I'm going to read down through verse 10, or verse 11, excuse me. So it's Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exalt in the hope of the glory of God. This takes great discipline for me. I just want you to know if I take a big breath, it's because I really want to talk, but I don't want to talk. All right, I want to read through the passage. So we'll talk about it after we get done. So it sounds like I'm kind of half coming at you, but it, it's just because we've got to get through this. All right, okay. And not only this, but we also exalt in tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance, proven character and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. <clears throat> back to verse 1. Now we'll go back and think about it. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Again, before, if you read through the book of Romans, you, you realize this, that before I was converted, I was a child of wrath. He says that in here. He says that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. God, God hates sin. He absolutely hates sin. Um, it's constant irritation to him, if you would. It's something that you, know, you, you can't live with. Right? I think about it, uh, again, I've used the illustration many times, but there was a chemical when I was studying in, at Furman. I was a chemistry major, and we got this one chemical. It's called pyridine. It's the worst-smelling thing I have ever been around in my life. I mean, I'm sure there's some others that were worse, but this was the worst I'd ever had. I mean... A drop of it, and we, we would be starting to move out of the room, I think. I mean, it was terrible. It was a terrible stench. It caused problems. It just, it was one of those ones you, you just don't adjust to. And, and in the chemistry lab, we had to adjust to a lot of things because a lot of smells were in the chemistry lab. And you just go, oh, yeah, it smells like rotten eggs, but we'll, we can work with that. But pyridine, I couldn't work with. I just could not work with it. The smell comes off that. And it's one of those ones where if you gave the tube to somebody and said, just smell this, and they went like this, they, you pick them up off the floor, all right? Because it instantaneously knocks you over, all right? So 
they had this this party up there, and they had this uh, you know the frat parties, and they had a guy where they put him in a coffin. And anyway, it was it was a big game that they did every year, and uh, the frats would uh, the boys would would do pranks on each other in this thing, and somebody put some pyridine in there, and this poor guy. <laughs> He never did get his skit finished. I mean, he, just, he came out. Why did he come out? Because he can't live with it. You can't adjust to it. It's not something where you can, you can habituate to it. With God, there is no adjustment to sin. He hates sin. That's why a wrath means he's angry about sin all of the time. Now, he's not sitting there stewing. It's just a, it's a settled disposition of his being. Because it's destructive. He would look out across us as just if here we are as a group of people who kind of want to know God. We want to we want to hear his word. We want to follow him. And yet if he looked across, <laughs> I wonder how much hurt there is in the heart of God as he just looks at us, just realizing the way in which sin is twisting us and breaking us. The things that weren't forgiven, the 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 lies that we told that we shouldn't have told, the things we looked at that we shouldn't have looked at that is represented right here tonight, all of them destructive, all of them tearing apart the fabric of society. We don't, try to, we don't think of it that way because we're saturated in sin, right? The whole place is saturated in sin. And so we get used to the concept of sin and we habituate to it. God never habituates to it. The Word of God in Ephesians chapter 2 says that before I was converted, I walked according to the course of this world. This is what we all did. We walked according to the course of this world. We were under the direction of the devil, prince of the power of the air. We walked according to our own lusts. The, the desires that we had, both of the mind and of the flesh. And he says, and that finishes up in this terrible statement about where we were. And we were, by nature, children under wrath. Children of wrath. Just like everybody else. There's no difference between anybody on the face of the earth. But God comes and makes a, a salvation known. He says, you can be justified. And this antagonism that God has towards sin, which kept me at a distance from God, he says this, if I'm justified by faith, if I come and entrust myself into the hands of Jesus Christ to rescue me from my danger, and he gives to me the righteousness of Christ and takes away my sin and puts it on the Lord's, to the Lord's account, says, I am justified, then here's what it says. Then there is peace with God. The war is over. It's finished. It's finished. That's a great thing to be able to tell somebody. That it is possible tonight that every person in this room be in a place where the warfare that God has, has towards sin is gone because He removes this, this guilt that is there. He deals with it completely. God only hates one thing, and that is sin. Take sin out of the way, and God of blessing will pour forth. He speaks about those people who have been brought into this experience, of, or will be brought into this experience of justification. He says this about them, and again, the beginning of the book of Ephesians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. 
And what that, that word was, is he blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It means this to us, that there is nothing else God could do for us that he hasn't done for us in Jesus Christ. Because there's only one thing that, that breaks the relationship between man and God, and it's sin. When sin is removed from the picture, God's full blessing, I mean, unmitigated blessing can flow across us. Isn't that something? So that tonight you're either in that state of being in a child of wrath, or you are blessed with all that God could ever give to you. That's important because all of it depends on what? It depends on whether or not you had your prayer time this morning. It depends, no, it depends on one thing. It depends on whether or not you come and entrusted your life to Him because we're justified by faith, right? But when we're justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he's, he begins to go into the reconciliation. He moves from there to the reconciliation side of it because he says, therefore, we have our introduction by faith. We've been introduced to God by faith. Our introduction by faith into the grace, and it's an important word there, into the grace in which we stand. And the concept of standing here means that this is a place which is secure permanently. Isn't that tremendous? Secured permanently. Now again, we said this all last week, but we want to go at it a little bit more this week because... Everything else, as we build it in the life of faith, depends on having this as a rock-solid foundation beneath us. If we don't get hold of this, we're going to try to use what is taught concerning sanctification in order to get an introduction to God, in order to win the favor of God. Unless a person is convinced and clear about the fact that in Christ you have a complete and full standing with God, which is absolutely perfect and eternally immovable, then you're never going to be able to fully enter into the, prob- or the, the life that's out ahead. Because at the same time that I am given this position, this standing of righteousness before God, I also have a problem in my practical experience. Okay, go back to my own, again, just, I'm using myself as the example here because I, I went through all this. You can go through it. You've been through that. The night that I came to the Lord Jesus Christ, when I finally came and said, I'm going to entrust myself into your hands. On that day, he justified me. On that day, he reconciled me to God, to the Father. So that now I not only am have a judge who isn't going to judge me, but the one who is the judge is what? He's my father. He's my father. And the blessing of God comes. That's wonderful. And at that same night, we'll talk about this more as we get into the winter discussion of the life of faith as it goes on. He gave me new life. He gives us all new life because we're not only justified, but he now gives to us new life. You're born again. You have a brand new life. But... Again, I'm not taking anything away. But I was a long way from what God wanted me to be. Right? Right, it goes on after he says this, we exalt in the hope of the glory of God. Well, 
there, there's one of the evidences that we have laid hold of the grace of God here because when he says, I, I exalt in the hope of the glory of God, he means this. I'm looking forward to being with God in eternity. That I no longer have that fear, that, that edginess about what's going to happen when I die. I am now justified. I know that there's peace with God. And so I exalt. I, I rejoice in the fact that when I'm dead, I'm going to be with God. I'm going to be in His presence and it will be wonderful. That's what he's talking about, exalting in the glory of God. But then he backs off and he says this. And we also exalt in our tribulations. Now, that part doesn't seem to make a lot of sense here. We exalt in the fact that we'll be with God, right? That's great. He says, now, we also get all excited because of our tribulations. You're going, oh, man, this doesn't make any sense. And he says, why? Because he says that the tribulation works patience. Again, this could be translated differently in your Bible. There's, There's a number of different words that could be put in there. But the patience, then he says, tribulation works patience, and patience endurance, endurance hope. Now, what he's saying there is we rejoice because we're facing these troubles because we know these troubles are purifying us. Because it's it, to work patience means I start off and I'm a little impatient. But as the tribulation, as I face it and I trust God in it, I begin to come to a place where patience begins to be a characteristic of me. Now, in the same way, and then he talks about endurance. At the beginning, you don't have the endurance. You're, you're a quitter and the thing, but hey, you, he works it out. What he's talking about is this process again. Here comes a third big word, is sanctification. I mean, it just means that God has no intention of you staying where you are. He wants to make you everything you can be in Jesus Christ right here on this earth. He wants you to experience the fullness of life that comes when you know God and know Him intimately and can walk with Him in purity. You're never going to do that perfectly. And that causes a problem. It caused a problem for me because here I am. I want now to serve the Lord. The <laughs> only problem was that about a couple of weeks later, it was crystal clear to me that although I had new life and new desires and it was obvious God had done something for me, there was a lot of work still to be done. And I had to face the realities of what, what was still there. Sharing with students, again, it was maybe it's not a good thing to share, but anyway, we were students. Uh, Mr. Johnson and I were students here together. And I, I was only six months in the Lord when I come, and a very competitive person. And um, Mr. Johnson was a very competitive person. Mr. Harbin was a very competitive person. Mr. Carroll was a very competitive person. We had a whole bunch of competitive people in our class. Uh, we played volleyball every day. Played volleyball every day. There were only 12 of us. You're either on this team or this team. We played every day for hours. Um, after a while, tensions started to rise because everybody wanted to win. All right? And, and in those days, we <laughs> it was the funniest thing. We had a... a a brick at the corners. That was the out-of-bounds line. There was no line. There was a brick at the corner. And you look down and see, oh, it was in or out. Can you imagine? The debates that occurred over whether this was in or out. Well, we won't go into all the other ones. But there was one particular day. <clears throat> I don't remember any of the details of it. I just know that tempers heated. And we had a blow-up on the court. 
I don't think anybody hit anybody else, but we did a lot of ungodly uh, communication. Let's put it that way. <laughs> we were devastated. We were devastated. I can still remember Mr. Carroll coming down after it was all over. This was the, he had the guys there together. And all I remember was he just laughed. He just laughed. He said, God's going to get it all out, isn't he? He's going to put you in places where it comes to the surface because he wants to get rid of it. But you see, that, that process of God putting you in places, tribulation works patience. But the working of that patience in the tribulation means the forcing out of junk. And I don't know how you've responded to those days when junk comes out. You're, I'm going to glorify God. And what do I find? I find junk coming to the surface. Whatever junk is your junk to come to the surface. But it's coming to the surface because God wants to get it out. And the first thing we have to do is see it's really there. I had to find out that I couldn't control my temper as well as I thought I could. I couldn't be a good Bible boy, you know, at the school. You know, I was going to be, there was a lot to be done there. But I'm, I'm facing now who I am. Then there's these blessed truths, right? If I would confess our sins, if we will agree with God that, hey, I'm a sinner here, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But what I'm saying here is this. It's hard to exalt in that. Unless I already know that while that process is occurring, while God is forcing things to the surface, the relationship is unaltered. Right? If those blow-ups, again, it was right up there, we had that big blow-up, it was up near Mr. Carroll's house. If those blow-ups change my relationship with God, then I'm in trouble. And it took me a long time to get hold of this. That although God was determined I was going to be holy, and, and he does paddle. Don't get me wrong, he does paddle. Because he hates sin. He hates the way it destroys people. He's going to get it out of me. He's going to work on that. And sometimes he will rebuke harshly. <laughs> he will say, that's wrong, that's really wrong. You better straighten up. I'm not saying God's going to be pussyfooting about all this. But at the same time, a relationship has been established which is unaltered by the ups and downs of my daily experience. That I'm built on a foundation, which means that I not only have been justified and there is, there's peace with God, but now I have been brought into a relationship where God is my Father. He's my Father. And because of that, there is confidence all the way down the line. That is the reason that every time I go to pray, no matter what the condition of my heart is as I approach God, if I am honest with Him, I can come. If that weren't true, on those days where things are not what they ought to be in my heart, there would be no answer. Because in me and my own flesh dwells no good thing. And what is the chances that out of that rotten heart that I have, that apart from Jesus Christ, that I am going to find a way to work my way back to God? I can't get back to God. There's only one thing to do, and that's go to the Savior and have Him save me. But I can do that no matter what the problem is. Why? Because I was justified and I was reconciled to God. I am now 
in that position of being back on a right relationship. That's why one of my favorite verses, it, it just it's extremely important to me just to keep this all clear. In the later part of the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is, is talking about those days in which you have the storms of life, right? Paul expresses the same thing in the book of Ephesians when he says that we might stand in the evil day and having done everything to stand. Those days when the devil comes in against a person and tries to crush them, tries to put them, because he hates, the devil hates Christians. He hates people who want to love God. When God begins to do a work, they become, that person becomes a target of the enemy. And there are times when he will come in. So he, he expresses that the evil day. The writer of Hebrews expresses it as those days when there are the storms of life, when, when you're just being rocked around in life. Maybe you've, you've, you've experienced those. Right? He says, what do I do in those days? Well, he says, here's what I do. I hang on to what Jesus said he would do on my behalf. There are truths that tell me what I have to be to God and all the rest of that's true. But when the storm's going, the only thing I can do, the right thing to do, is to hang on to who he is. Because of that relationship, says the writer of Hebrews in chapter 7 of the book of Hebrews, that Jesus Christ is able to save to the last degree all those that come to God by him because he ever is alive praying for them, making intercession for them. See, part of the, the assurance of knowing that I have a relationship with God is to know that no matter what's happening in my life, no matter how rough things are going right now, Jesus Christ is praying for me. He's praying, and he will prevail. It will work. All right? Chapter 8, he says this, that there is a covenant which he's established and he's going to fulfill, in which he says that he'll write his law on my heart, he will bring me to the knowledge of God, and my sins and my wicked deeds he will never remember again. That's what he says. See, I don't do that. I don't run the covenant. He runs the covenant. He writes the law on my heart. He brings me into the relationship with God. He sees to it that the sins and the wicked deeds are never remembered anymore. And he takes that in chapter 9 and 10. He goes on with that thought. And he's speaking about this problem of, of coming to God when things are rough, all right? And, and we're all through that. Again, this is real practical to a lot of people because they, 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 have, they fall into sin, all right? They, they do the wrong thing, and then they won't come to God because they're embarrassed about it. And I would say this. The best thing you can do is the fastest route back to the Lord is the best route the best route because the only way to deal with your sin is by the cleansing that he can that is in your practical experience with the cleansing that he can have now the writer says this because they were looking for something else so he comes in chapter 10 and he says this to us by one sacrifice there's only one sacrifice he has perfected for all time how about that for a statement he has perfected for all time, those who are being sanctified. Does that make sense to you? 
They're in the process of sanctification. And we're not going to say where they are in that process because once God starts His work, He's going to, he's going to bring it along here. If you belong to, if you've been justified, you will be in this sanctifying process and you will respond to it because that's part of what God promises He'll do. But while this is taking place, there is a standing which is back behind it, which is always perfect, which means that I can come to God any time because He is already completely perfected. That is the reason why Jude, at the end of his book, in verse 24 of the book of Jude, says this, And now unto him who is able to do what? Keep us from stumbling and to present us faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. So that if you know the Lord tonight, no matter what state you're in right at the moment, when you come to the Lord, what is it going to be? You're going to be there with exceeding joy because the Lord's able to do that. It doesn't mean He's not going to work in my life to sanctify. It was what we were talking about in the wintertime. <laughs> if you're not being sanctified, if you're not being progressively brought along this direction, then you did, you've never justified. Because God, when he, he fulfills His promise, just as He'll fulfill His promise to justify me if I'll entrust myself to Him, He will fulfill His promise to begin the work and finish it. You can trust Him for that. But along the process, as the bumps and bruises hit us, we're tempted at times to move away from that thought and confidence that you can have in the relationship that you have. When Jesus Christ justified you, you were given a perfect standing before God. And because you were given a perfect standing with God, you have now been made, brought into a relationship with Him that you can know God. Remember a few weeks ago we were talking about this, the beginning of the life of faith comes as, as God begins to work in your heart. And you begin to know something of His power in your life. Here's what He says. He's going to bring you to two convictions. What? That He is, that is, that He's exactly the way He was revealed. And what? He will reward those who diligently seek Him. You're never going to get to Him on of what you are. But if you'll come to Him, He'll tell you about the way in which He can save you and deliver you if you'll entrust yourself to Him. We're justified by faith. Not by anything we've ever done. And because we're justified by faith, we have a perfect standing. So that Paul can say, as he gets to Romans chapter 8, there is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. It's not, it's not even anywhere on the horizon. It doesn't happen today, and it will never happen. Yeah, that parallels to what he said in there. He has perfected for all time. Not just for the, the present time and not until you get in too much sin. No, He has perfected for all time those that are being sanctified. He'll go on to say that because of that, and this is part of what He's exalting in here, He says, therefore, everything that happens to me works together for good. Everything that happens to you is working together for good because of the person who's watching over you. Because the, your Father happens to be the one who's in control of the entirety of the universe, that means he's going to, a little thing to be in control of what's happening on this earth. No matter how rough it gets, no matter what it looks like, it's working together for good. It's working to that right end. He is sanctifying, and he will bring that to pass. Then finally, he says in that chapter, nothing can separate you 
Nothing that could happen could ever separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing can change that. Nothing. If I'm going to live the practical life of faith, I have to count on that. I have to count on it. So that when I'm finished, I will be presented with, glo- with joy before the throne. While I'm on this earth, everything is working together for good. It's working together for good. And just get another point that, that happens because of this. We can, you know, we can put up with whatever circumstance God gives because he has said, I will never leave you. And I will never let you down. Never. Never. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'm never going to let up because the relationship's been established. And again, I would ask the same thing I did last week. Did you ever really come and do this? It's easy to have all the Christian words floating around in your mind and never get to that place where you come in an act of faith and say, Lord, I'm going to take refuge in you. I am taking my life and I am asking you to do for me what you alone can do for me in delivering me from the guilt, the power, the, the, the terrible things that hold me. I'm asking you to take my life and forgive me for my sins. Take that life and give me your righteousness. Have you ever come to him? Now, you don't have to understand all the details, but you have to come to the Lord and say, Lord, save me. Deliver me. Purify me. Justify me. Bring me back to God. Have you done that? Have you done that? It's not enough to know about it, but have you ever come to that place where you actually took that step? If you do, you're going to find out he's a rewarder of those that seek him by faith. Not because of who you are, but because of what he's done. So entrust yourself to him. And you will find that he is faithful. And he will justify. Okay, let's pray. Father, we come before your throne and ask you for a deep work of your spirit in each one of us. Father, for those of us that know you, that you will give us deep and permanent confidence in your faithfulness to fulfill your promise. Deep and abiding confidence in the relationship you have established so we might know what it is to live in peace and joy in this life. We pray for those who are outside the kingdom that you will give them grace to repent and to trust you and to come to life. We come and trust you for it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.